Programming Notes episodes, the general concept is that you can get an extended summary of episodes if you decide that you'd rather have that than listen to the episodes themselves, as well as some notes about what's going on in the community or how you can be helpful and useful in the community. Programming notes for the week of December 4th, 2022. So starting with something that I'm thankful for. I'm thankful for those people in data who don't focus so darn much on the tools. But what we are actually trying to do, you are the real heroes, right? Uh, I really am thankful for those kind of conversations that keep bringing people back, including myself, back to the what are we actually trying to achieve? Okay, what's my call to action for the week? It's to get in touch if you want to be on a panel, especially if you are part of an underrepresented group. We want to continue to make DEI a high priority for the community. So I'm setting up a lot of panels for a number of reasons. One is the edit load for a, a panel in general is much lower on me, so you still get good information with the, out the amount of work where I have to do a big <laughs> summary and all that stuff, the big write-up on my end. So, you know, just being a little honest there but it also spreads the load across a few people from a cognitive standpoint. And it, it gets more faces. Like really the big thing is that it, we need to have new faces emerge. We need to have new voices emerge in the data mesh space. We've got some really great people out there, but we, we want this to be a chorus, right? We don't want this to be five or six people. We want it to be kind of not necessarily an overpowering, deafening roar, but we want there to be a lot of honesty out there. At least that's my, my goal. You know, there have been more of these things of late, but we still need a growing base of people exchanging information and especially asking the questions of each other. It, this stuff about data mesh, it just can't be spoon fed to people. That's where vendors step in and corrupt your food supply. Not sure what metaphor I want to use, but most are a bit dark when you think about somebody corrupting your food supply. Maybe they're getting you hooked on sugar or something like that. And they keep trying to tell you that it's the, you know, buy this and it is the panacea versus actually focusing on the ways of working and kind of having real conversations about what's difficult, why it's difficult, how people are thinking about it, what they tried, what didn't work, all of that. We need we need just a lot more honesty out there, uh, a lot of honest conversations. And I'm trying to drive that, but that's why panels are so awesome, because people can be a little bit more uh, open about what they're doing and, and kind of play off each other and collaborate. So with all that said, what's on tap for this week? On Monday, it's going to be episode 163 improving the user experience for all parties, early UX learnings from Data Mesh at DNB, which is an interview with Alice Parker. Alice and I had a fun and kind of light conversation about what her master's thesis and early work at DNB, which is a bank in Norway, around user experience with data-related systems, what that's all been about, right? She was 
doing a master's uh, thesis and interviewed a whole bunch of people around what are they trying to actually get out of these systems? How do we design good systems to actually interact with people instead of, hey, let's expose the tools as the tools work. Let's expose it in a way that people can actually use it and get their job done, right? This is something that um, good API theory, when you look into how people build good APIs, they talk about a lot. They talk about the user experience as well. So, you know, she's on that team at DNB that's building out their platforms for data mesh and, you know, has some strong opinions about building a good user experience. This is one to listen to regarding treating your data platforms like products too. Platform thinking isn't just for the data products within Data Mesh. On Wednesday, it's episode 164, Jamax uh, Corner number 11, Thinning the Veil Between the Data and Operational Universes. How can we stop having such a strong bifurcation between the operational and analytical planes, right? Especially in our practices. How can we make it easy for data product developers to do the right things by default? And how can we build better analytical APIs? A lot of getting quite clear about the major challenges uh, we have to tackle in the short and long term to make analytics a high-functioning engineering practice like software has become. So you'll you'll get a lot out of this because there's, I think, a fair number of questions, some answers, but there's a lot of here's what to focus on, here's where you might want to make sure that you uh, don't let this fall by the wayside. And then on Friday, it's episode 165, getting your data mesh implementation on firm footing, early learnings from SMG's data mesh journey, which is an interview with Amy Regatta. Amy shares SMG's early journey decisions and the positive and and negative outcomes of some of those decisions, such as not taking on the most complex and complicated problem first. That's a big data mesh anti-pattern to do that, right? So they they looked at it and they said, no, 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 we, we need to create a space where we can learn and iterate and, and, you know, create that conversation going back and forth. She also shares somewhat about what's next on their journey and how they look at their evolution. So I think it's good if you're early in your journey to look at, hey, are we looking at the same thing for the long term? And, and you know, how do we set ourselves up for success? Here's what somebody's trying. We, you know, we don't have the uh, hindsight yet, but I think it's it's uh, a pretty useful thing from that, that perspective. So with all that said, on to the extended summary for Alice and Amy's episodes. Extended summary for episode 163, Improving the User Experience for All Parties, Early UX Learnings from Data Mesh at DNB, an interview with Alice Parker. So in this episode, I interviewed Alice, who is a data engineer at the Norwegian bank DNB. Alice started talking about her recent master's thesis, which was studying human-computer interaction, specifically around data mesh at DNB. And, you know, obviously it's a huge topic. To start, though, she emphasized the difference between user experience or UX and user interface, UI. 
your experience is impacted by much more than just the visual buttons you click or knobs and levers you move in on a more industrial setup. So user experience is much deeper than many think. Jamak has mentioned user experience in multiple different contexts as a crucial factor in getting data mesh right in the long run, right? It's a rarely explored topic in data, especially designing your architecture to provide a better experience for data producers and consumers. According to Alice, there is even an ISO standard focused on experience. It's about, quote unquote, how to help users achieve their goals effectively, efficiently, and with satisfaction, how you can minimize risks, and how you can enhance the maintenance of tasks to be completed effectively, right? And breaking that down into each piece can be a pretty deep conversation. How do we ensure satisfaction of data users? What is risk when it comes to data? Risk of interpretation, misuse? A crucial aspect of UX is understanding the capabilities and limitations of the people using it. As Alice noted, quote unquote, systems and technologies evolve incredibly quickly, but unfortunately, humans don't. And we can't think of every person as being the same with the same needs and capabilities, which unfortunately means one size will not fit all when thinking about building your platforms for data mesh. We have to design to serve persona needs and to actually understand persona needs, we need to speak with them. (laughs) When listing out the different personas, just on the data consumer side, Alice mentioned data analysts, data engineers, data scientists, data stewards, and business owners. On the producer sides, you have data engineers, data scientists, software engineers, and business owners. Then in kind of the in-between other personas, you have like platform engineers, data governance people, et cetera, right? So there's a whole lot of personas that you need to address. And this is, I think, part of why JGP at PayPal talked about their only initial data consumers or data scientists, because (laughs) they didn't want to have to design for all these different personas. But you do have to think about what each persona needs and then design for each persona. The personas even have different terminology, different ontologies they use. If only this were easy, you know? (laughs) Uh, What this all leads to is going and actually talking to your potential users to find their needs, which is what Alice did with interviewing data consumers for her master's thesis. Similar to what Jen Tedrow mentioned in episode 98, You need to go and listen to their pain points and then abstract away the use cases to see what are the bigger needs, right? What are the bigger challenges? And you can do that in a very informal way too. But you can really only get that feedback through conversation and explicit effort. One thing I would note is that this is extremely true. The number of times I've asked for feedback and gotten crickets is is quite often, right? I think people don't necessarily think that people want to hear from them. It's it's funny how many of my guests that come on and say, oh, I wish people would follow up. And then I say, oh, who have you followed up with? And they go, well, I don't want to harass them. It's like, no, people want to talk about this stuff. So go out there and have the conversations. <laughs> Sorry, back to the, uh, the summary. So Alice noted it's important to let people know when their requirements won't be met or won't be met on their timeline. That open communication will get them to trust you. It's okay to say no to a change to user experience, especially if you have a good reason for it 
that you explicitly communicate to them. You can work with them to maybe find the, the quick wins that gets them additional value now as well. Prioritize what can be done now and explain why for your prioritizations. Again, that communication is really key. Documentation is one crucial aspect that has been lacking in, in data, according to Alice. Yes, Data Mesh calls for data quanta to be well documented, but we need to ask who are we actually documenting for? If you have five different consumer personas for your data product, is it documented so all of them can actually use it? And then how do we make it as easy as possible for data producers to actually create and update that documentation? Does documentation only have to be written? What are some low friction ways to share the context of what a data quantum is all about? I've talked about this a few times. I think just a, a quick Q&A session or here are five questions to answer and that somebody, you know, a, a couple of people from the team record themselves answering those questions could be a great way to share additional context without having to, you know, write and write and write documentation. It's crucial to think about incremental progress and showing that incremental progress on your user experience and, and Alex's experience, right? Every system everywhere will have frustrated users. Such is life. And you can't solve most challenges in a day. But look for ways to iterate towards a better UX and circle back and show people you are improving it. If that's uh, data product creation cycle time, show them your prioritizations that sped up that cycle time and show them the improvements, right? Show them you listened and reacted. They might still be grumpy, but at least they have reasons to be less grumpy, right? As other guests have noticed, Alice has seen most people are willing to share about their current challenges. If you go in with the right attitude to listen and empathize, you can learn a ton. People want to be to feel seen and heard, and it might help more with prioritization than you'd expect. As Alla Hale said in episode 122, what would having this unlock for you? Extended summary for episode 165, getting your data mesh implementation on firm footing, early learnings from SMG's data mesh journey, an interview with Amy Regatta. So in this episode, I interviewed Amy, who's a senior director and analytics product manager at Swiss Marketplace Group, or SMG. Amy started by talking about something many other guests have probably felt, but few have said. When signing up to do data mesh, you won't really know for sure what it will be, what your tasks will be, what you'll have to actually do. And that's okay. Your journey will take you places you didn't expect and have hurdles and obstacles you can't see or predict. That's all okay. You can learn and iterate along the way. Expect the unexpected. When Amy started interviewing at SMG, the team was not as familiar with data mesh. But for the past six months, it's been a key part of her focus. She paired up with the head of data engineering and worked to brainstorm before moving forward. That pre-work lasted about two to three months. 
There was also a lot of other change happening in the general technology and data landscape at SMG, moving from on-prem to cloud, moving from monolith to microservices, moving off some legacy technologies, etc. But that meant they were able to get everyone together for a two-day workshop and really look at things from a fresh perspective. At the same point, people are not used to abrupt changes, and with Data Mesh, there will be a lot of changes. So look to implement that over time. Don't be in a rush. So a couple of points from this paragraph is is basically that you can take your time. It's totally fine. Get people together and get them ideating before you just start trying to move, right? Get some people that are bought in that want to work together. And, you know, there is probably going to be a lot of change involved. So think about how you roll that out and how that's going to work within your organization. So SMG decided to start with a single domain, leads, instead of multiple domains. The initial use cases were useful for the leads domain as well, especially by significantly improving their own data quality. As part of enabling that domain, Amy and team are working closely with them to teach them how to handle data, what data ownership actually means. The leads domain was chosen because they had a significant need for help with data quality and had moved more to cloud and microservices than other domains. It was also a smaller, more manageable problem than, say, kind of the sales domain in general, which is in a major transition to Salesforce. They had, you know, three non-mesh data products that were impacted from poor leads data. So there was a lot of downstream issues that they could address by working with the leads domain, a lot of incremental business value to drive by fixing that data quality issue. The other domains they considered were in big transitions, so it would be harder to get where it was necessary to drive value in a a proof of concept and a lot more work and risk, right? And I think this is something that's been echoed in a a number of of episodes of there needs to be some space to, to work with this and that you can't take on your biggest challenge up front. You need to be able to find places where you can get to a quicker win rather than trying to take on your most complex issues. Data contracts have been a key goal and key driver for Amy and team. The goal is to better define what you are trying to do with data. What do you as a data owner need to actually do and deliver? And what can the data consumer expect? The driver aspect of this is that data owners have something more concrete. So they are willing because they only have to deliver what they say they will. It gives a limited scope to their data work, right? It's not just provide me with quality data. It's, okay, this is what this means and how we're actually going to provide it. A focus for Amy and team is to be the enablers only, building out the platform and teaching people how to own, but not do or or own as a central data ownership, right, was causing the issues in the first place. So it's what Data Mesh is trying to move us away from. So they were really focused on making sure that the domains are the ones that do and own. The domain teams will certainly need some babysitting, but that is expected and can mean more information flowing to the platform team to make improvements too. Data ownership isn't a one or a zero. It's a process. Amy believes it's important to really pair with domains to share the logic with them behind Data Mesh. 
why are we doing this change? And not make it feel like you are changing their ways of working instead of adding new value-add capabilities to the domain. This close relationship has allowed them to do a data contract demo where you can sh- they can show the domain what happens when they make a change that will violate their contract. That way, the domains understand what happens to downstream consumers, you know, possibly even themselves, when they make a breaking change, and that the platform alerts them to a breaking change too, so they have a better chance of preventing issues themselves. Similar to what Chris Riccamini mentioned in episode 51, Amy and team are implementing automated schema validation checking at the pull request level. This prevents breaking changes from going through with consumers being the first to know about an issue. It also kicks off a conversation about should this change be made? And if so, how will they do versioning? And Amy knows this can overwhelm some people, but the team she is working with understands you know, the leads domain, the pain. So they are eager to prevent that pain. They are also looking at kind of data reviews, similar to architecture reviews, to assess if operational system changes will impact you know, their data consumption downstream. Abhisiva Asylum in episode nine mentioned they are doing a similar process at Flexport. Amy believes, and I agree, patience is crucial. Getting the first domain into a really good spot and then enabling them to share their story and their learnings will be crucial when they try to go to additional domains. Not being in a massive hurry means teams have the time and space to learn how to own data instead of just we're piling a huge amount of workload on top of an overburdened team. That just isn't going to work. Educating the general company about what they are doing with data mesh has gone well. Amy created a Miro board using Bar Moses' old joke of data mess to data mesh, right? So they talk... So they are working to explain the what and the why to everyone involved, but in a simplified way. Talk about what changes, the new responsibilities and what those mean and drive. Talk about how you can bring everyone to the table and especially what benefits Data Mesh has for them. Really focus on the practical of what they're being asked to do and why. And uh, SMG is actually using the, the phrase data mesh internally, and that's going well. I've, I've talked about how that can cause issues because then people start to ask, okay, what is data mesh? And then you launch into a 15-minute you know, explanation of what is data mesh versus like what changes for them. But it's working for them. And if you, if you really can find that communication and people are going to come to the table, it's totally fine to do that. While many stakeholders in their initial domain were anxious to engage at first, Now that there is a proven value, according to Amy, those hesitant stakeholders are much more willing to pair up with the the central data team to kind of get their their journey going. They're providing test cases to the data team so they can quickly validate value and iterate together. They are already seeing the benefit of the work with other stakeholders, and it's getting those previously hesitant stakeholders excited about this. So if you want buy-in, Look to provide some value first and then show slash prove that value. Yes, easier said than done. Wrapping up on on four quick tidbits. uh, Make sure to team up with any domains that have had success so that they can help you sell other domains on working with you. They can help educate and also show that you are actually providing the business value you claim. 
it's super easy to get bogged down by metrics. Push back on big metrics request. What do you actually, why do you actually need this? As Alla Hale mentioned in episode 122, what would having this unlock for you? If it doesn't unlock value, why do it? Having prioritization meetings weekly keeps everyone on the same page, heading in the same direction. Look to kind of have those and share openly about what your prioritization is. It's easy to get wrapped up in what might happen. Focus more on what's in front of you and what you are trying to do. Don't cross bridges before you come to them. There are countless bridges in data mesh. Focus more on the now. Thank mm-hmm. you.